Future Proof Extra from News Talk. Now, usually when we speak to physicists, we find ourselves talking about um, the very, very big or the very, very small. Uh, you know, we're talking about you know, quantum particles or we're talking about huge forces in black holes. And we're used to the idea that physics happens on the frontiers. Um, but what about everything in between? Well, Helen Tresky is a bubble physicist in University College London and author of Storm in a Teacup, The Physics of Everyday Life. She joins me now. Helen, is that really your, your title, bubble physicist? Yeah, it's a real job. <laughs> so what? It's got lots of very serious physics in it as well. Why, why bubbles? So bubbles are the unsung heroes of the physical world. They're always up to something, right? Once you start looking, they're everywhere and they can be too small to see or so big you can't miss them. Uh, and they're doing things, you know, which is why they're interesting. So they're studied because they're useful in medicine and because they're useful in industry. And I study them in the ocean. And, you know, they they do all sorts of things. So they're really interesting things. And I just want to add something to your introduction there, because you're right that there's this idea that the frontiers of physics are the big and the small, but there's another one in the middle, which is also a frontier of physics, which is just the complicated. Um, and it's not as elegant, but it's much more interesting, I think, anyway. Um, and you're, so you're talking that, about the the, the, the the physics of how um, headphones get tangled or how hair um, swings uh, on, uh, on in a bob on a runner. That's of course, some serious things, you know, so how, how materials move and how they behave and how you deal... How, you know, so take bubbles, for an example. I study the bubbles underneath breaking waves out on the open ocean. And you can see um, the bubbles, right? We've all probably at the, been to the seaside, stood in, in bubbly water. Yeah. It's right there. And yet it's so complicated. The processes that are going on have got so many things happening at the same time that we're still trying to under, to pick apart the details. And um, that's the more complicated end of it. But, you know, you can see some of these things in everyday life and, and they are just as important and they matter. Um, so I don't want to I, I don't want to give the message that um, all this stuff in the middle is not important because it is because it's basically what runs our world. We don't use quantum mechanics, you know, to run our everyday lives. We do have to make decisions about you know, which windows to buy and how to insulate our houses and all that kind of thing. No, and some of the coolest um, findings of the coolest materials we've ever created have been done um, using bubbles and uh, the, that aerofoam that, um, oh, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that they use in space to catch particles. That's the, the, what, the softest material or the, the most nothingest material has ever been made. Bubbles, and you don't have to sell me on bubbles, Helen, because I, <laughs> I have a certain coffee that I ask for, and there is no name for this coffee. It's an Americana with foamy milk on the top, and I have to ask for it every single time because that's the only way you should drink a coffee, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> but, but when people pour hot milk onto a coffee, I just go, mm-hmm, thanks, bye. Or if I'm feeling a bit a ballsy, I say, no, sorry, can I just have foamy milk on the top? Because actually, it's kind of funny, and, and you kind of make this point that bubbles do something that, liquid or gases can't do on their own there's something very specific and useful about bubbles yeah so there are places where a liquid and a gas are trying not to mix basically if they were going to mix then the gas would dissolve in the liquid and it would all become one load of stuff but instead they're they're keeping themselves separate and it and it lets you do things and the coffee is a good example so you get you get bubbles on coffee for two reasons actually if you make if you in an espresso you know one of those sort of noisy machines they the coffee comes out of there with some bubbles in it um and that's because they're carbon dioxide bubbles coming out of the coming out of solution actually so you force the coffee you force 
force water through the coffee at super high pressure and gas dissolves into it and then when it comes out in your coffee cup you know the, the gas has to come out of solution so it so it forms bubbles and then also like you say there's the milk which you you know is whisked uh, or foamed to to make another foam and the nice thing about um cappuccino so i am not a coffee drinker right so i tend to i'm not getting involved in the debate about whether a americano <laughs> with a foam is a proper drink or not um but i do I do appreciate coffee as a toy. And the cappuccino is a really good example. You could probably do this with your version, your uh, foamy stuff as well. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> like you said, there's no name for it. It's so annoying. So, um, but if you take, uh, uh, let's say a cappuccino, so it's got a nice thick layer of foam in the top, some milk underneath, and you hold a spoon horizontally and you just put it down, you gently rest it on top of the foam. It will stay where it is, yeah. right? Um, but if you put that spoon gently down on you know, just the coffee, then it would fall in. And if you put it gently down on nothing but air, it would fall in. And so you mix the air and the liquid together, and suddenly you have something which can hold up a spoon, which neither the liquid or the gas could do by itself. Yeah. And that's then that's when bubbles start to become interesting, right? Because because they can do things that other things can't do. Now, you um, have spent weeks out in uh, the North Atlantic uh, on a research ship with machines studying the bubbles formed during storms. But um, to me, I, I, I need you to explain that to me, because why don't you just get a whisk and some fairy liquid in a bath at home and save yourself a whole bunch of money? What is different about the bubbles in the North Atlantic and the bubbles in my bath? If you object to me going to the North Atlantic, it gets worse than that because I've just come back from two months at the North Pole studying bubbles. Oh, I, I, I don't object. I, I, I'd be doing the same thing, but I'm just wondering what is different about the 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 two, like. Can there be anything different about the bubbles? Yeah. So the first thing is that we 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 when we create things in the lab, we are creating an artificial situation. Hmm. So we're putting into it things that we already know or things we think we know. But quite often, the natural environment is up to things we hadn't thought of. And so the first reason is you have to study it there because, it, you know, that's the real situation. And, and the bubbles in the ocean um, are doing something very, though they do a few very important things, but the, the, the two most important things are that they help the ocean breathe and they help shift stuff from the ocean into the atmosphere. So every time a wave breaks on the open ocean, um, you know, you're carrying, you're trapping bits of the atmosphere and carrying them down underneath the surface. And you're then, those gases then have an opportunity to dissolve out. Um, and also if the bubbles come back to the surface, you know, and they burst, what you get is just like what you get when, um, if you take a fizzy drink, you know, some soda, you hold it under your nose and as the bubbles pop, you feel them spitting stuff up your nose and those white foam patches on the ocean after the breaking waves, they're also spitting tiny particles upwards. And so they can act as a vehicle to get stuff from the ocean into the atmosphere. Right. Um, what that means, so for example, at the, um, the North Pole where I was this summer, um, what we could see there, well, my colleagues were doing the chemistry, I was doing the bubbles, but they could see there was stuff from the ocean in the clouds and it was changing the structure of the clouds. So you've got this question, you know, this, we can see this biological material that's clearly from the ocean and it's three kilometers up in a cloud. What is it doing there? Hmm. Um, and it matters because it's changing the type of cloud that you have. So all clouds need little particles of stuff somewhere at the middle of each droplet 
for them to form. And, and if sometimes there aren't very many of those particles and they come in different types and sometimes they encourage the cloud droplets to be liquid and sometimes they encourage them to be ice. And so there's all this stuff that's going on. And, and so the bubbles uh, seem to be part of this jigsaw puzzle and we're still trying to pick it apart. Um, so, so yeah, so the bubbles in the ocean are, you know, helping, helping gases transfer across the ocean surface and, and moving these tiny particles upwards. And they also change the way that sound and light travel through the ocean. So you get, um, and the good thing about all of this, by the way, is that you can demonstrate all of these effects with a glass of, you know, if you're having a celebratory champagne or Prosecco or whatever it is this Christmas, all of these effects also happen in a glass of sparkling, you know, sparkling alcoholic drink, whatever it is. Um, so, so you can study some of them because these processes do happen in some other places, mm. but really we need to know about the ocean, what's really going on at sea. Yeah. So, 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 many, yeah. so many experiments have sort of fallen down because the lab is not real life. Um, and, and I guess uh, extrapolating stuff from that um, is dangerous. Uh, so uh, the, the book um, sort of uses um, sort of things around us that we're very familiar with to explain some uh, nice little physics. And I, I really like that. And, and particularly um, the, the the bit about the duck and, and thermodynamics, because <laughs> it's something I hadn't really thought about. But that, that the book is sort of peppered with all those things that you, you don't really think about. But when you explain it, it becomes really fascinating. Well, what really gets my goat, frankly, is the snobbishness that surrounds physics quite a lot of the time. There's this sort of feeling that, oh, this is the mysteries of the universe and it's the quantum, you know, only extremely clever people shall even know that this exists. Nonsense, frankly. Most of the world is run by classical mechanics, uh, you know, classical physics, which is basically before the quantum stuff came along. Uh, it still works. And um, it's... The great thing about that is it means there's all these really clever things that happen, but the same principle that drives those also drives things in the everyday world. So, you know, there's this feeling that, oh, well, the physics experiments, you know, there's so there's a thing I encourage people to get some raisins and put them in a fizzy drink like fizzy lemonade or something. Just put the raisins in there. Watch what happens. Uh, and people have this idea that that is um you know, keeping the kids happy on a Saturday afternoon, like, oh, well, that's a kid's thing to play with the thing. No, we should all be playing with the world because the principles that you learn, that the physics is the same, right? Physics is universal. So you might get used to an idea by, by putting raisins in lemonade or by playing with eggs or teacups or whatever it is, but the same physics of exactly the same sort of beauty and interest um, is, is creating the big posh technologies of our time you know yeah. the Hubble Space Telescope and how the ocean and atmosphere work and all of that stuff so really the book's trying to link those things together and say look right you have actually seen this in a teacup or whatever it is wherever or you know, in a duck for example or in a duck um, and you might have wondered why it happened so that's all right so the first thing is we'll explain why it happens and then you go and actually now you've seen that pattern let's look at all the other places that pattern turns up and suddenly the world becomes not a massive pile of things that you don't know mm. but a a sort of fabric of the same patterns coming up in these amazing variations again and again and everyone can understand them because once you've got the first pattern you've seen the whole thing yeah do you know i i, I learned about the raisins and in the fizzy drink from my seven-year-old son who did the experiment in school and i he said guess what happens when you put raisins in fizzy drink and i got it wrong and then i was like oh that's really interesting so i'm not going to ruin it for people but i do want you to tell me about the duck because i thought it was really clever <laughs> and i've I mentioned it twice now and people are going to go he said duck and she never explained the duck so never explained. um yeah. God, physicist has to explain the duck yes so 
you may have seen, especially around this time of year, it's not quite freezing yet, but when the ponds and rivers start freezing over, um, the ducks don't go away. And quite frequently, they walk out on the ice. And the embarrassing thing about that is that, you know, the humans watching them are covered in layers of coats and great big thick, you know, insulating things. The ducks just over there standing on the ice with bare feet. Um, and somehow the duck's bare feet don't uh, freeze it, right? Because you'd think that would be a problem. You know, if the feet get cold, then the legs will get cold and then you're all cold and then you're dead, right? Not good for a duck. Um, so the question is, how do the ducks deal with this? Because they do manage. They, they don't get cooled down very much by having by standing on ice with bare feet. And here's what they do. So the inside of a duck is nice and warm. We can all agree on that. Um, and, I've never and been there, Helen, but uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> we'll ask a duck. Um, so, so the you know the blood the feet need a blood supply because they're alive, so they need a blood supply. So the 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 blood goes down the legs. That's all right. Gets to the foot, goes around the foot, and now it starts back up. Now, when the foot it's it's in the foot on the ice, it's obviously going to get very cold because it's right next to solid ice. But on its way back up, it passes right next to the blood going down. So the two tubes are basically right next to each other. The blood doesn't mix, but it's, you know, there's just a thin wall between them. So what happens is that the blood going down heats up the blood coming back up. And the blood coming back up cools down the blood going down. So the, the, the blood leaves the duck at 40 degrees Celsius, goes down the leg, gets cooler and cooler and cooler, gets to about five degrees in the feet, turns around, comes back up and then gets warmed up on its way back up by the the, the other blood, the, you know, the following blood coming down. Um, and so the duck doesn't really, it's very efficient. It, it, it's, it's, it's a basic law of thermodynamics. The heat moves from the hotter thing to the colder thing. Um, and it's called a, a countercurrent heat exchange if you're into long words. Um, but it's a really efficient way of using basic thermodynamics to, 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 maintain two things at two different temperatures i mean a, a fluid can flow between them and, and get cooled down again and get warmed up again and the duck doesn't have to do anything it just <laughs> stand there right well, and the engineering of its uh, blood vessels makes all of this possible uh, and and uh, it's just you know it's just a really nice thing <laughs> no it is and, and and the book is filled with lots of nice things um and you should check it out it's called storm in a teacup the physics of everyday life helen chersky thank you very much for joining us 